that, we are going to dive into God's Word together. Um, I'm excited to do so, as we should always be excited to do so, because God has something in store for us. So uh, I would just invite you to bow your heads with me um, as we open God's Word together. Lord, we, we love you. We thank you for your deep love for us. We thank you that that's what started this relationship we have with you. Wherever we're at in our relationship with you, you know each heart and mind in here. And if we have in any way some relationship with you, if we have even, if there's someone in here who even has an inkling, even a wondering God, if you exist and you just got dragged, God, you are pursuing and have initiated a relationship with us and you are inviting us to know you. And you have such a desire for us to know you that you didn't just appear to people back in the Old Testament, but you, you enabled people by the power of your spirit to communicate a word to them that was then written down and carried forward thousands of years later. And so, so we enter in some mysterious way today, we enter into this listening community, this listening family of God. And we say like so many have said before us, you've got to have your way in us. Speak to us. This word is not just black and white on a page. This is a living and active word that speaks to the deep, deep needs of our souls. So Jesus, we invite you to come and meet our needs in some way today. And it's also a scalpel that cuts down to the deepest core of us and reveals what we need to see. The brokenness that's in us that we need you to address and the beauty that you made us for in relationship with you. God, many of us in here have already said yes to you through Jesus Christ and we just want to take today to say yes again and yes to more because you have begun a work in so many of us. You've begun a good, good work and you're not done. So Jesus, in some way, I ask you to continue that work in us as we look to your word. Teach us this morning, Lord. We are listening, and we long to be changed by you. And it's in your holy and precious name, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So we are in Genesis chapter 28 today. Last week, if you were with us, uh, Phil... Uh, spoke from Genesis 27 and delivered a powerful message. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. But that was uh, about, uh, I love the way you put it, a 77-year-old man dressed up like a goat. How fun is that? Why, how, why would you want to miss a story like that? So Jacob wants the blessing so badly from his father Isaac. And you know, he missed out on it by that much. He was born seconds after Esau, grabbing his heel and yet, because he wasn't the firstborn, he wasn't due for the blessing. Now, God had him due for the blessing, but family tradition didn't have him due for the blessing. And so he's been fighting and wrestling for that blessing for his entire life. And like, like Phil said, sometimes we can know the word of God. We can even want the will of God, but sometimes we don't do it in the way of God. We don't pursue it in the way of God. And that's what we saw in Jacob and Rebekah. Last week, they knew the word of God. God had already declared Jacob is the chosen son. He is the one who the covenant blessing is going to pass through. 
Even though he's the youngest, doesn't matter. He's, he's the one I've chosen for the covenant blessing to pass through. They knew God's word. They wanted his will. They were saying yes and amen to that, but they didn't pursue it in his way. And it made a whole bunch of mess, which we'll see some of the fallout of that today. But part of that mess was Esau wanting to kill his brother for stealing this blessing. It doesn't matter that Esau gave it away years before. He wanted to kill his brother. And so Rebecca says, Jacob, you've got to get out of here a little while. And she asks Isaac to send Jacob away to her family. The same way a servant went years before to go get Rebecca as a wife for Isaac, she wants Jacob sent to go get a wife for himself. And so that's, what, that's where we pick up our story. In Genesis chapter 28, um, I'll read along. Um, you can just listen along um, or open your Bibles or devices to Genesis 28 if you want to follow along. I'll be reading from the NIV. Genesis 28 says this, So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. And then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go, to, go at once to Badan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Badan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Badan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Badan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac, so he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth and its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples of earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. He thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. That This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stones he had placed, the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, 
If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you will give me, I will give you a tenth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So, Genesis chapter 28 The start shouldn't come as much of a surprise because last week, chapter 27 ended and Rebecca was pleading with Isaac. Now, we know one of the reasons she was pleading was because Esau was threatening to kill Jacob. But she was pleading with Isaac, go send Jacob away to get a wife because if he gets a wife from one of these Canaan, if he picks one of these Canaanite women like Esau did, they're going to be the death of me. She was having a really, really hard time with, our in, with her in-laws like some of us have a hard time with our in-laws. I don't because my in-laws are sitting right there. <laughs> and I love them very... No, I'm serious. We, we have a good relationship. I'm blessed like that. But um, I'd say that even if they weren't there. Uh, I said it for service, I think. Um, so she was having trouble with her in-laws. She said, I'm going to die if Jacob takes a wife from these Canaanite women. So it should come as no surprise that Isaac, the next thing he does is call Jacob aside, blesses him and says, okay, he doesn't say your mom said, but like essentially, (laughs) your mom said, don't marry a Canaanite woman. Go take take a wife from your mother's father, Bethuel. So go marry one of your cousins. It's weird to us. Don't do that today, but back then it was okay. Take a wife for yourself from there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. No surprise that he says that. But here's the thing. What he says next, that might come in as a surprise because remember who Isaac is talking to. He is talking to the 70-year-old man that was dressed like a goat. He is talking to the liar, the deceiver, the cheat. He's talking to the man who deceived his senile, blind, old father. He's talking to that jerk, and we finally get to see what he's going to say to him. And I can't wait, can you? Like, he is going to tell him, Jacob, now's the time for you to hear what I really think of you. And so he opens his mouth, and he says, May the God Almighty bless you. And may make you fruitful. Jacob may increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Thank Isaac. I thought you were senile before. Don't you remember who this guy is? Isaac, you don't get it. Here's the thing. I think Isaac gets it more than we do. I think Isaac finally gets it far more than we do. Because you know what? This is how covenant works. This is how the covenant works. Isaac knows this firsthand because a few chapters ago, he lied to a king said, my, my, my wife is my sister. He made the same mistake his father did. And you know, a few verses later, you know what God does? God blesses him. God blesses him and says, you're going to multiply. He gives him practically the same blessing. 
Not because he deserved it, because God's good. Do you see, this is the way the covenant works. <laughs> so, so Isaac, right here, I, I, don't know, I don't think he got it last chapter. He was angling for Esau to get the blessing. He liked Esau better. He liked venison better. He wanted Esau to get that blessing, apparently. But, but here, he finally gets it. And it, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter that Jacob doesn't deserve it. It doesn't matter that Jacob isn't good enough. It doesn't matter that Jacob isn't even the firstborn. Even that doesn't matter anymore. What matters is God said it. And the covenant is based on grace. I think Isaac gets it. Do we? Do you and I, do, do we get our covenant? You know, we have a covenant too. Covenant relationship with God. Some of us are in that covenant relationship. If we have submitted our lives to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are in covenant relationship with him. And the word we put over all of that is gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ that he stepped off that throne of heaven and came and lived a perfect life that we can live and died a death, a sacrificial death, taking on himself the wrath of God and the full punishment and payment for our sins so that if any one of us Saint, sinner, whoever, any one of us, believe all we got to believe that Jesus did this for us, that he is the only way for us to the Father, that there is no other name under heaven and earth by which we might be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. If we just believe, we're made right with God. The same God we turned our back on and rebelled against, we're made right with him just by that. This this is our covenant. It's the gospel. How do I know if I know the gospel? I say the gospel saves me, right? I'm saved by grace. Praise God. Do I get it though? Like, do I really understand it? How do I know you understand the gospel? you, You know you get the gospel when you give grace away. You know how I know, how I think I know Isaac got covenant? Because he was given it, and given it away, given away blessing, even though it wasn't deserved. Do we, do you? Sometimes we need to test ourselves. Like, I know I'm saved by the gospel, I'm saved by grace, but do I really, do I really get it? Has it gotten my heart? Has it, do I really understand this? Not so that if I'm saved, but like, do I, do I really appreciate the fullness of what God has done? You want to know that? Test this in yourself. And here's one way to do it. Do you give grace away? Do you give it away even when it's not deserved? This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Preach the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I, I know, some people say the Sermon on the Mount is not for today. It was preached before Jesus died and all that. It, I don't think that's exactly right. I think Jesus has given us a picture of this is what a transformed life looks like. You are not going to be able to live this life on your own. It's kind of like the law in that. You can't do this. And yet, as your heart and your life get more and more transformed by the presence of Jesus Christ, this is what it looks like. And you're never going to believe what it looks like. Do you want to know what it looks like? Here's one thing he said. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I mean, doesn't that make sense? That makes a whole lot of sense to me, doesn't it? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, but I say to you, here's what I say, love your enemy. Love your enemy, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who persecute you. 
You want to know if you get the gospel? Do you do that? Because that doesn't come naturally to us, right? Amen? Like, the, the, the way I treat other people, you know what comes naturally to me? I treat either other, people, other people, I don't even treat them the way I want to be treated. I treat other people based on how they treat me. However you treat me, fine, I'm going to give you some of the same. You treat me kind, I'll treat you kind. <laughs> Neighbor, you mean to me? Let me tell you something, enemy. You know, what, you know what's crazy about this is we're actually, <laughs> see, this feels like freedom to us, right? It's not freedom. It's actually putting, it's putting our behavior in the control of other people. Do you know what that's, what that's what we're doing when we do that? I'm not going to respond to you the way I choose. I'm going to respond to you based on how you choose to respond to me. And we, we give ourselves over to the control of other people. Based on how they react to us, that's how I'm going to respond to them. And we're, we're given away our choice of how to behave. And you know what Jesus says at the end of this passage? After he says this, you know what he says at the end? He says, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. Who can do that? But here's one of the things I think he means by this. He's, be, be perfect. You know what that is? Be complete. Like your father in heaven is complete. And I think one of the things, not everything he means by that, but one of the things he means by that is, see, this is the way you can be like God. Is you can respond to others based not on what they do to you, but based on how you choose to respond to them. Because guess what? That's how your father in heaven responds to you. Do you know God in heaven doesn't respond to you based on how you act towards him? Praise God for that, right? Like, if he did, we would all be sunk. But he does not respond to us based on how we act towards him. Do I get that? Like, do I really understand that? How do, how do I figure it? Not, not so that I'm saved, but how do I figure out, like, oh, I get this, Lord, I get this. How do we know if we really understand that? Well, sometime this week, I guarantee it, sometime this week, there's going to be a bitter word that comes your way. Will you answer it with a kind word? You have somebody who's going to hate on you. Will you respond with love? This is hard, hard stuff. The gospel's hard. You know that? The gospel's hard, but the work's been done. There is someone, maybe not this week, but someone in your life, maybe many people in your life, who will persecute you. Will you, at that time, drop to your knees... And pray not that God would have vengeance on them. But pray for an open heart. God, help me understand them just a little bit. Will I actually recognize that the, the reason they're acting like my enemy, the reason they are such a jerk, is not because they're so much worse than I am. It's just they don't get the gospel. Oh God, would you open their hearts to the gospel? I don't, I don't feel good about them right now. I don't like them right now. It's hard for me to even say these words. But God, would you chase after them the same way you chased after me? Oh, if you do that, hmm, you get the gospel. Hmm. Not so that Jesus looks kindly on you. <laughs> 
Not so that you earn anything from God. It just means you get it. We'll, we'll get to the earn part in a second here. We switch to, to Esau. I, lo- <laughs> I love this part. So we turn our t- Jacob gets sent off, right, to go find that wife. And we turn our attention to Esau. And Esau, here's what's happened. Isaac blesses him, says, go find a wife from your uh, mom's family. And it says this. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. Really? How long did this take? Last chapter, Rebecca was saying she was going to kill herself because of these women. And Esau is just figuring out now that they're displeased. How many Christmas dinners did they have to sit around the table shooting daggers with a... I'm just kidding. They didn't have Christmas. Did I check up for you? Jesus wasn't born yet. How many uncomfortable family gatherings did they have to have for Esau to real, like finally get it? Oh, she doesn't like my wives. And then what? And then what does he do? So he went to Ishmael and married one of his kids. Can you imagine the meeting that Esau had with his parents after that? Mom and dad, I just want to say, like, I know there's been stuff between us over the last few years, like decades, really. And I, I finally understand. Um, my, I, I know, like, my wives, you just didn't like them. So, can I introduce you to, <laughs> like, how do you think that went? Do you see what he says doing it? What does it say? In addition to the wives he already had. Uh, wrong way. But, you know what's really good? Right? Esau wants to be in right relationship with his parents. That's a good thing, right? But can you imagine that meeting? What would they have said after that meeting? Like, Esau, like, this isn't the way to it. This isn't the way to get back in our good graces. And I wonder how many times our conversations with God might look like this <laughs> if we had the ears to hear. <laughs> we know we've messed up. We've never screwed up again. I said I was going to follow Jesus and I'm just not committed enough and I'm not doing well. And so, like, God, I messed up and I'm so sorry. <sighs> so I know it's taken a while for me to come back, but now I'm coming back to you and and, and, and look, at least I'm not doing that anymore. So I'm not going to do that anymore. And, and besides which, you know, I went to church. I've been to church like four weeks in a row now. And I've read my Bible and trying to hear from you. And I'm praying. And God, look, can I introduce you to my life now? Like my life is pretty good, right? And I feel like God in heaven might be saying to us, my son, my daughter, I love that you want right relationship with me. That's not how you get back to me. The work's already done. The work's already done. You know what Esau missed here? We were talking about this as pastors. But I met with Pastor Mark and Pastor Jeff as they helped form this message this week. And they reminded us in, in Hebrews 12, it says that Esau was godless. And we see that here, right? Like, where's the mention of God at all? There's none. Esau realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his dad, his mom. Did you ever spare a thought for God, Esau? 
that you would displease him. If, if you would realize that, maybe you would have realized, there, like you can't just fix this. You can't just write this. Do you know you can't fix you? Like I've said this before, but like Esau comes to this place and he just tries to fix himself. I, I messed up before. I know marrying these two women wasn't that great. I, I'm going to fix it. I got, a, I got the plan. And we come to God sometimes and we say, God, like I know I, know I messed up, but I've got a plan. God says, no, I have a plan. I've planned it. And it's, actually, it's already done like it's Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Are you walking in that? Because here's the thing. We... When we try to earn grace, we get further away from understanding it. I mean, do you hear that? We, we come to God sometimes and we know we're saved by grace. And we're looking pretty good recently. No, you're saved by grace. And the instant you think this is earned, you're getting further away from understanding grace. We are saved by grace. And that's not a helping hand from God. He didn't reach down and help us get to our feet. We were dead. There is no getting up from that. There is no coming back from that at all. But he extended his grace and he did all the work that we could not so that we might just say, yes, that's all. Say yes, and we're saved by grace. And, and just like you were saved by grace, you continue in grace. And the instant you try to earn it, you can't earn it. You're further away from understanding it. Do I get the gospel? Do I get grace? Stop trying to earn what God has freely given you. This is what Brennan Manning said. He said, identify yourself. Uh, I'm going to misquote it, but I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try it anyway. Identify yourself relentless, relentlessly as one loved by God. This is your true identity. Every other identity is a false one. Can, can we do that today? Can we define ourselves? Because of grace, we didn't earn this, we didn't deserve this. Today, I am relentlessly loved by God, not because of anything I'm good, not because I'm, I've read his word, not because of anything but him. Do I get grace? I will if I stop trying to earn it. So then we turn our attention back to Jacob. Jacob continues. And it says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And I want us to think a minute about this place that Jacob stopped. He, he started on this journey to his wife's family, and it was about a two-month journey. This is going to be a long time, and he's, he's out there. He started it. We don't know how many days into it. But he's out there, and, and there is nothing out here. The only thing out here is a town called Luz, and who wants to go into a town called Luz? So he's in the middle of the wilderness. It's des desolate. It's dark. He's by himself. A couple decades before, the, a few decades before this, a servant was sent to find a wife for Isaac. And he went with ten camels and a whole horde of servants and a bunch of treasures. Jacob is going with none of that, just a staff. That's it. He doesn't have a change of clothes. He doesn't know where his next meal's coming from. You think he's scared? The last interaction he had with his family was getting the news that Esau was ready to kill him. And boy, is Esau capable of that. He kills things for a living. You ever sleep outside at night? Like go camping or something? I love camping. 
But it's, it's something to get used to, isn't it? Like sleeping outside in the dark and like when you settle down, you start to realize how noisy night is. That ever happen? And every noise comes along. What was that? You think it's a bear and it's a squirrel like outside the tent? Like Jacob is resting and, and every noise he hears, every squirrel or whatever it is, little rodents they have in the Middle East, I don't know. Every twig that breaks could be, could be the footfall of his brother Isaac with a hatchet in hand ready to kill him. Jacob is a desperate man here. He's vulnerable. He's scared. And he has nothing. And he knows beyond all this, he knows it's his fault. Like, he created this mess. The only reason he's running is because his brother's ready to kill him, and his brother's ready to kill him because he was a jerk. He screwed up and got himself in this place. So you think he might be shaming himself, disappointed in himself, beating himself up? I just ruined my, I was trying to get the blood, and I ruined my life. And he's in this dark place, this wilderness, and we get in places like this. I came across this term this week that I kind of, uh, kind of fascinated me. It's called liminal space. I had never heard of it before. Liminal space. It's a term in psychology. We'll talk about it in a minute in that way, but it's also in photography. Liminal space in photography is a place of transition. It's a transitional point between two regions or two states of being. There's a definition on the web, on one of these websites about liminal space photography. It says, a liminal space is the time between what was and the next. It is a place of transition, waiting and not knowing. Waiting and not knowing, how uncomfortable is that, right? Liminal space, it's this uncomfortable space. It's a time of transition, kind of like, this is a liminal space photograph. It's time of transition, the sun is setting. Moving off, but there's this darkness, right? There's this, there's this what was the day and what's coming the night, and this is in between. And it's pretty, right? Another, another facet of liminal photography, though, is um, that there's this sense of uh, that it's empty, that it's devoid of people. It can be a lonely place. And there's also a sense of lingering in a place normally we normally just pass right through without a second thought. So another completely different liminal space photograph is this, an airport hallway, right? Airport, you just pass through without a second thought. You don't take stop to notice. You don't stop to notice except someone stopped to notice this and took a photograph. And it's kind of like airports are supposed to be busy, right? What about shopping mall parking lots? Man, doesn't that look weird? Like sometime this will be filled, but right now it's just empty and kind of forlorn. The city of Detroit. And in this particular photo, you don't see a living soul. There's a classroom that just, I didn't know they made classrooms this big, but that's kind of weird, isn't it? Hundreds of seats and nobody in them, and it just extends on forever. It feels like a foggy parking lot. I don't know who puts a bus depot in the middle of the wilderness. But how'd you like to wait for the bus there? I mean, it's pretty right there, but wait and wait. Like, there's this sense of limbo to liminal space, right? It gets uncomfortable. Look at this photograph of a beach, right, and all the beach chairs. How could that look forlorn? Well, if you take it at night and it looks like that with nobody around. 
There's a sense to liminal space of the unknown that's ahead. It's uncomfortable, and there's places like this in our lives, too. It's not just limited to photography, right? So there's these times of transition that are uncomfortable. For, for me, one of those times was post-college. I think it can be that for a lot of us because we're in this place where we have gone through elementary school and middle school and high school and college and school after school after school, and this is what just life, we get good grades, and this is what we do, and then we are thrown out into the world, and we have not made it yet, Right? And we're in this liminal space. It's uncomfortable. It's this wilderness. It can feel lonely. It's disorienting. We had all this great community, but now we have nobody. And we don't know what's to come. When we move, even if it's an exciting move, there can be a liminal space that we're living in before we get settled. When we get our hearts broken and a relationship ends, one way or another, there's this loss of a sense of identity People go through midlife crisis. There's this sense of limbo and unknown and it's uncomfortable and it's uncertain and it's vulnerable and it's confusing. This is where Jacob was, I think, and this is where a lot of us end up. If you haven't been there yet, you will be in your life. I can identify a lot of those spaces in my life. You know what? My wife and I have been through a season recently that has been a liminal space in a lot of different ways. I'm not going to talk about what that is. But, but you know one of the things we noticed about, that liminal, about being in that space was like we turned to our, each other at one point, and this is after months and months and months, we realized we haven't, we haven't dreamed for a while. Like I don't mean like dreams when we're asleep, but like dreams about what our life could be after this season, what our life looks like. We're just surviving in the day-to-day, and we've stopped dreaming. What about you? Are you dreaming? Like we started out with a question today, right? A question out there you can put on cards. What, what do you dream that Jesus would do in your neighborhood? How about this? What do you dream that Jesus would do in your life? Sometimes we get in these liminal spaces that we, and we don't even know it and we haven't dreamed. And do you know God has a dream for you? Do you know the good news for Jacob is in this uncomfortable space? I know this feels heavy, but you've got to hear the heaviness so you can hear how beautiful it is that God enters in with a dream. Do you know God has a dream over your life? Let's look at the dream that God shared with Jacob. There we go. He stops at a certain place for the night and taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth. Zeppelin fans, anybody? Stairway to heaven? No, okay. Um, With its top reaching to heaven, I thought about seeing it, but I didn't, so you're welcome. Um, And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And like, what is Jacob visualizing here? Like, before we go on, I just, just quick, like you've probably seen paintings of this and maybe it's a ladder, maybe it's a stairway. What does it look like? Well, the, the language here is familiar language that we've heard before. When it says, with its top reaching into the heavens, we've heard that before. He, he's going to later in the passage, he's going to say, this is the gate of heavens. We've heard that before. Do you know where we've heard that? We've heard that here. This was, uh, I don't know if you, if, if you were with us when we, we talked through the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, the people were building. You know what it says? It says the top reached to the heavens. And they called it the gate of heaven. It's the same language. It's for these towers that they built in the Middle East back in those days. And they would build them as a place to receive the gods. 
You build this really special and it has these ramps and it goes up and you're hoping beyond hope that some God will come down and visit. And, and Jacob, like where he is, doesn't he need that? Man, if he could have parked by one of these, right? Some place that, that has been built and prepared to be a place where God might come down and visit. And lo and behold, he finds out that God comes and visits anyway. Doesn't have to prepare, doesn't have to build a big tower, doesn't have to work for it. God just shows up. And so what he probably was imagining in that dream, what he probably was uh, visualizing in that dream was probably a tower much like that with a ramp up to the heavens, angels ascending and descending on both sides, and the Lord God himself standing at the top. And listen to what the Lord says to this vulnerable, desperate, lonely man. I am the Lord God, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Jacob, right now, you don't have a penny to your name. All you have is your staff. You don't know where your next change of clothes is coming from. You are not always going to wander like this. I will give you this land, guaranteed. Besides that, you're, you're not going to stay alone. Jacob, you're feeling alone right now. I want you to know something. I'm here, but not only that, you're not going to stay alone. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and you are not going to be able to contain all your grandkids and sons and all of that. And Boy, he doesn't have any idea right now, but he'll get there. And beyond that, life feels pointless right now, Jacob, and you don't know what the purpose is to this running and what's going on in your life right now. Listen to me, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am going to bring good out of this, not just for you, but for everyone on earth. And here's the best of it all. I am with you. And we'll watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Man, is that what we need to hear in our liminal space, in our wilderness? Like that this, this wilderness is not all there is. <laughs> like all you see might be desert land in front of you. All Jacob saw was scary darkness and heard creeping things. But that wasn't all that was there. God was there. Even in that space. See, here's the thing. We, we need to recognize these wilderness places we are, these liminal places that we uh, enter into in our lives, these are not a trap to escape. They're a place of transformation to embrace. Do you remember what liminal space was defined as? A place between two points. I didn't actually read you the full definition. Here's the full definition from this secular website about photography. It says this, a liminal space is the time between the what was and the next. It is a place of transition, waiting and not knowing. And then here's what it says. Listen to this. Liminal space is where all transformation takes place. If we learn to wait and let it form us. Do you want to be transformed? <laughs> you know how you get transformed? You go through liminal space. You go through wilderness. You go through discomfort. And what does this secular website say? If we learn 
to wait and let it form us. I don't know what the it is they're talking about. Liminal space is this nebulous thing. Can I tell you what the it is, though? It's a he, and it's God. And we know him. And he is the one who takes these places of wilderness in our lives, these dry places, these liminal spaces, and they're not traps that we, want to escape, that we just need to escape. They are places of transformation for us. You look at the testimony of everybody through Scripture, and you see time and time and time again, they go through these places. Moses, not just Jacob, Moses and Abraham and David, person after person, even Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went, actually, he went seeking the wilderness. He went out into the very wilderness with nothing and fasted for 40 days and nights. And in his humanness, he came to the end of himself, in his humanity. Not the end of himself as, a God, as God in the flesh, but the end of himself in the flesh. And it's in the wilderness that he declared that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I mean, we say that, but do we believe it? Do you know where we're going to figure out that's true? The wilderness. We're going to figure out that God is faithful when we come to the end of ourselves. It's only when we come to our emptiness to actually experience our emptiness and our stuckness apart from anything else that we discover his fullness. It's only in our uncertainty that we see him as a firm foundation. And, and look at what happens. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. See, I thought this was just a wilderness. I thought this was just uncertainty. I thought this was just vulnerable. But God is here. And do you know in these spaces in our lives, the question has never been, is God present? It's just, are you aware? Listen to me. The question is not, is God present right now? He is present right now. I don't care if you're bored. I don't care if you're not listening to what I'm saying. I don't care if you are just looking forward to whatever's coming this afternoon. God, the God of all creation, is present right here in this place. Not because it's church. Not because it's comfortable. Because he's here. Because he's everywhere. Oh, but not just that. He's not just here like he existing, like the 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 way we just show up some places and just kind of survive and sit through and don't really pay attention to the way my kids listen to me sometimes, right? And they don't even pay attention to what's going on. No, God is, God is here in a much deeper way than that. God is here with his attention on you. Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. The question isn't, is God here? The question is, are you aware of it? And are you aware that he's not just here, but his attention is on you for your good? Listen, that's the only way that uh, Jacob can come and say, what does he say next? How awesome is this place? Jacob, I thought this was a wilderness. Uncertain, lonely, desperate, about to be killed. I don't know if I'm going to survive. But he said, how awesome? How awesome, because the God of all creation is here and his attention is on me. 
I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what space you might be in. It might be a wilderness place. God's attention, God is not far from you, even if he feels like he is. He is with you, and his attention is on you. This is nothing other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven, he says. The world would tell us to run from difficult things. Just escape, just medicate. You're going into a tough seat, just watch, flip on the TV, just waste time. I, flip, I don't play many games on my phone, but there was this, these ads always pop up. It cracks me up. I saw a review for a game the other day, and I was like, this is a great way to waste time. How messed up are we that we look for a great way to waste time? This moment is a gift. I'm not saying don't play a game on your phone ever. I'm saying be aware that the God of all creation is present while you're playing Tetris or whatever, whatever the kids are playing these days. And we waste these times of wilderness, we waste these liminal spaces, and we just want out, right? Like it's uncomfortable, and I just want to be settled again, and I just want out. And yet it's right there that we discover God is far more faithful than we ever thought. And God has far more for us than we ever could imagine. I read this book by a guy named Terry Wardle, and he talks about going through this incredibly dark season of depression and anxiety. He doesn't even know why it started. He couldn't even leave the house. He was a preacher and teacher and made his living that way. And he couldn't even leave the house for months. It was a dark season. He didn't know what caused it necessarily until the Lord began to reveal things in his life. And on the other side of that, because God did bring him out on the other side of that, I will bring you to, back to your father's house. It's guaranteed. God did bring him out on the other side of that. You know what he said? The greatest blessing he received in that was realizing the immediacy and presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he now has a relationship with the Holy Spirit like he never had before. I read that and I said, I want that. I don't know what he's talking about, but I want that in my life. Can I tell you that, I, man, there's some of this liminal space I've been in, like I, I went away like a month ago. Jesus showed up in ways he never has before in my life. And I never would have been, I never would have known he was, I never would have been aware of it if I hadn't been in my wilderness. So the world will tell you to run from these difficult places. Here's what I'm not, listen. We all experience depression. There are, time, there are times, things like that, that, that medication is, I'm not saying avoid medication completely. Trust Trust the doctors that God has put in place. And there are times when that is appropriate. And yet there are many times where we use medications or alcohol or so many other things to run. So, so don't, don't hear me saying if you're, taking, if you're on medication for, for an emotional condition, I'm not saying you're running, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying don't run. Like that could be good and appropriate and use godly counsel in your life to, to walk through that. But listen, like we tend to run from our discomfort and run from these difficult seasons and it's that season that the Lord would show up and show himself faithful if we'll listen. And if we'll just be aware of it. Are you aware of it? 
Will you lean into him in this? And who knows, but someday we can come on the other side of this difficult place and say something we never thought we would have imagined. How awesome. How awesome. That the God of all creation took me through that to bring me here. Because here's the thing. We talked about dreaming, right? Do you know God has a dream over your life? And I guarantee it is far bigger than any dream you have over your life apart from him. I'm not saying you'll be more famous than you think. It's not that kind of a dream. I'm saying it's bigger than that. But it's in an upside-down kingdom. You might be famous for his glory, (laughs) but make sure you're making him famous if you get there. God has a dream that is far bigger over your life than you could possibly imagine. And God is willing to allow things into your life that you would never choose to get you there. When we're in that place, will we embrace that space? Because it's a place of transition to embrace, not just a trap to run from. So how does Jacob respond? Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, which means house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. Surely the Lord is in this place. That that morning he woke up after the dream was over. God's not speaking anymore, but he knows God was there last night and God is here this morning. I don't know where you were last night. God was there last night. I don't know where you are this morning. God is here this morning. Then it says this. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And I don't know about you, I read this and I say, oh, Jacob, man. Like God, the God of all creation, but showed up in a dream at the top of this tower, angels ascending and descending. I love a dream like that. And at the end of the dream, how does Jacob, he makes a vow. That sounds good, right? He's going to make a commitment to God, but he starts out, if God just appeared to you and you're saying, if. God did all this for you. God promised all this for you, guaranteed, and you're saying, if, then he'll be my God, then this will be the house of God, then I'll give you a tenth. Here's the thing. It'd be like Jacob was bargaining with God, right? And, and that sounds like Jacob, doesn't it? So maybe, maybe that's what he meant. It could be that's what he meant. Here's the funny thing, though. That word if that gets translated if here. That's not the only word it can be translated into. It can be translated into another word. And some other translations have this word in it. Instead of if, they say since. Which changes everything, doesn't it? Jacob stands before the living God and made a vow and says, Since God will be with me. And will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. I don't know where my next piece of clothing is coming from. I don't know where my next meal is coming from. But God, you promised descendants like the stars. So I know between there and here, there's a meal. And I I know you're going to provide it somehow. 
so that I will return to my father's household, guaranteed. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Do you know Jacob is going to leave? His, his mom says leave for a little while. He ends up leaving for 20 years. He will never see his mother alive again. The mother that preferred him, the mother he was close to, the parent that loved him so deeply, he will never see again. It's not going to be easy, but it's a guarantee. The Lord will return me safely to my father's household. Then, since all of this is true, then the Lord will be my God and no other. No other God will be my God. I'm not going to give my life to anything else. I'm not going to give my worship to anything else. I'm not going to give my attention I'm not going to replace the attention I should give to God to anything else in my life. The Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. This moment right here is going to be a reminder to me for the rest of my life. God was there and God is here. And I will remember. And of all that you give me, I will give you attention. Since you are going to bless me like crazy, God. I'm going to give up some back to you. So which was it for Jacob? Was it if or was it since? Because it means, it matters a whole lot. Is it if or is it since? I don't know. We can't answer that question. You can answer it whichever way you want for Jacob. We were talking as pastors and it was interesting to us how the Bible asks questions at times a lot of times that it doesn't give us the answer to. It's kind of like Jesus asks questions not for his benefit, right? to get us to wrestle, to get us to meditate, to get us to think. So ultimately, it makes no difference to you and me today how Jacob answered that question, if or since. It makes all the difference to you and me today how you're going to answer that question and how I'm going to answer that question. Am I going to live my life if God, you say you're good. If you show yourself as good, like how many times do we do that? God, if you do this, then I will go to church all the, I'm not going to miss a single week. I'm going to read the Bible 60 minutes every day. I'm going to pray for all these people in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, if you come through, I'm going to do that. Are we going to live our lives that way? Are we going to live it since? Since. Here's the thing. By the grace of God, if we get the gospel, if we really get the gospel, how do we know to get the gospel? We don't live our lives conditionally. If God comes through, but responsibly, since he already has. How great were all these promises that God gave Jacob, like here and that in the wilderness. You are going to be blessed. You're going mul- to multiply. You're going to overflow You're not going to be alone. I am going to be with you until I finish everything I promised to you. You have the same promise in your wilderness. Jesus promised as he ascended into heaven, I will be with you forever. No questions asked. The God who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. I don't care what desert it looks like you're living in. I don't care how creepy this liminal space is in that you're living in right now. It is a guarantee that God will deliver you to the other side because he has a dream far bigger for your life than you have for your life. How do you know? 
You say, how do I know? We know Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Sunday school answer to every question, right? Jesus Christ. No, it, like it's the real answer to this question. How do, you, how do I live my life since he, how do I know he already has come through? Because Jesus Christ. Jesus um, one day was walking along and he met a man who he invited to be his disciple, a man named Nathaniel. Nathaniel was kind of skeptical. And Jesus said to him, you are a good man. And Nathaniel says, how do you know that? Like, you don't know anything about me. And Jesus says, Nathaniel, before we ever met, I saw you. Essentially, like, that's not word for word. You can go read it yourselves in the Gospels. But like he, he said, to him, it's in John chapter 1. He says, Nathaniel, before you ever thought of me, I, I was thinking about you. Before you ever saw me, I saw you. Before we ever met right now, I was watching you. I was there. And Nathaniel is so astounded. He says, my Lord, my God. You must be the anointed one. And Jesus says, Nathaniel, if you think that's something, just you wait. He says, just wait. You will see far more than that. He says, you're going to see heaven opened and angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. And you see what Jesus was doing there? He was, he was calling back to Genesis 28. Is that the chapter one? Yeah, 28. I forgot for a minute. <laughs> he was calling back to Genesis 28. He's saying, you know, you know when Jacob didn't think I was watching, I was watching. You know when Jacob didn't think I was there, I was there. You know when Jacob lifted up a stone to prove that this is a symbol right now of how God is always present and always with me and promises he will be good and bless me all the way to the end. He did it through showing up in the dream of a stairway. And Jesus says, I am the stairway now. Like this is me. I am the place where heaven and earth meet. And I am the guarantee that everything in your life, all of your needs, not all of your wants, not all of your desires, all of your needs are taken care of and met in me. And there is no life that fulfills apart from me because I am the place where heaven and earth meet. So will we come to him? Will we come to him? And will we remember that this is who he is? And will we, Jacob left this place and he said, God, I don't know how you're going to bless me, but I am going to worship you with whatever you bless me with. Are you worshiping God with all that he has blessed you with? You're telling me to tithe more. Well, maybe, but like how you were, and that's not the question. Are you worshiping God with what he has blessed you with? Yes, that has impact with your money. It has impact with your time. It has impact with your family. It has impact with the relationships these he's put in your life. It has impact for this moment and the next and every moment after that. Are you worshiping God with all that he has blessed you with because he has blessed you no matter what wilderness you're in right now? Will you live your life if or will we live our lives since? I mean, just as the worship team comes back out, we usually do this after worship. We're going to do this before worship. How to take this message with us into the week. And here's the question for you. Do I get the gospel? This gospel I'm saved by, if I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and submitted fully to him as Lord and Savior of my life, do I, do I really get this? 
Not to see if I am saved. If you get the God, you, you are, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ, you are saved. But so that I know this is sinking deep and I know I'm following him. How do I know I get the gospel? Give grace away even when it's not deserved. This week, somebody's going to come your way through word or in person or some way who does not deserve a kind word from you. Give it anyway. Who doesn't deserve for you to pray for him. Pray for him anyway. Stop trying to earn the grace you never could. Stop trying to say, God, I'm going to do this better this time. God, thank you for your grace that covers all my sin. And I thank you for your empowering spirit, which will help me grow more like you. But I thank you that I am just as accepted now as I will ever be. Because this is all grace all the way to the end. Will we embrace the wilderness as a place for transformation? This is where uncomfortable, difficult, dangerous, risky transformation happens. And we will, will we live our lives since rather than if? Since God was all in for us before we ever thought of him. Will we be all in for him? How is God calling you to be all in in ways you've been holding back? God, I know you say you're worth it, but I'm going to just wait and see how this pans out. No, go all in. Go all in and find out he's worth it on the other side. Let's stand to our feet, Grace family, and we are going to worship. We're going to celebrate and rejoice together in this simple gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this guaranteed covenant relationship we have for you that you paid for by your blood and through your torturous death and that you proved was the way to life by rising from the grave. Somehow we've gotten used to that, Lord. Forgive us for getting used to it. Sometimes we complicate it, Lord. We complicate following you. Forgive us for complicating it. Jesus, we, we stand here today as your family, as your children. God, simply saying we want to follow you. We know, we know we are not capable of it, but we know that you give us the grace. Lord, I, we ask that you would change our lives more and more into your image. God, we ask that you would teach us and show us the dream that you have for our lives. Not a dream that looks great in a worldly sense, but a dream that looks incredible for your kingdom. That you might be glorified in our lives and that we might get this gospel that saves us. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you that you will not give up on us till you finish that work in us. We celebrate that today in your name. Amen.